Uh, well, good afternoon, everybody. Um, my name is Nick Pierce. I'm the director of the Institute for Policy Research at the University of Bath. Uh, and I'm very pleased to um, be able to welcome you to this lunchtime uh, seminar uh, with our colleague, uh, Professor Jaideep Roy in the Department for Economics at the University of Bath. And I think uh, joining us in this webinar today um, will be my colleagues from the Institute for Policy Research, colleagues from the Department for Economics, uh, other departments in the university, and I think perhaps also some uh, contributors from uh, other universities um, around the world indeed. So um, uh, you're very welcome, all of you, uh, to this discussion. Um, Jaideep is going to talk to us about his um, latest uh, work, his latest research on, on automation, displacement and democracy. Um, and this is a subject which, um, or a group of subjects which we at IPR have uh, been interested in, uh, particularly on the empirical side, looking at the effect of automation and technology on uh, workers' preferences for particular kinds of social policy and welfare state uh, provision, um, particularly in the context of our work on uh, universal basic income. We've got a, a, a program of research on universal basic income, uh, which we've been undertaking for a number of years. And so the question of whether technology is reducing the labour share, uh, reducing demand for uh, workers and what that might mean for social policy uh, is obviously um, a very central question in that research. So we're delighted to be able to uh, welcome Jaideep to, us, to speak to us today, but for his approach to these questions from um, his own economic theory perspective, and in particular looking at questions of uh, displacement and democracy. Um, so I'm not going to say any more about that because I'm going to leave it to Jaideep to do his presentation. When he's been able to do that, uh, we'll come back to the chat and uh, at that point we can uh, use the Q&A in particular to uh, have a debate and discussion with Jaideep. Um, so please do use that Q&A. So that's enough from me. Uh, I'm going to mute myself, stop my video now and hand over to Jaideep for his presentation. Jaideep. Right. Thank you, Nick. Uh, and uh, thanks to everybody who's here. So this is a great opportunity for me to share some thoughts that I've been collecting over uh, the sort of stuff I've been doing on automation and democracy. Um, so what I'm going to do now is share screen. And So the title of today's talk is Automation, Displacement and Democracy. And um, this is joint work with Professor Saha from Durham. Now this is, um, as Nick uh, rightly points out, this is a rather broad, uh, deep and important um, um, sort of uh, topic in today's uh, discussions, uh, be it in academics or um, in public sphere. So um, we are, probably scratching the surface of this monster, um, uh, especially uh, from an economist's uh, prism, because I guess uh, this requires um, uh, multidisciplinary uh, thoughts, interactions, and communication. Um, so um, I'm not sure if this is blocking. Yeah, good. So. Um, Elon Musk, um, one of the prospective suppliers of industrial robots, was asked, what about mass unemployment uh, from the source of this uh, um, technology? So he says, um, uh, this is going to be a massive social challenge. There will be fewer and fewer jobs that a robot cannot do better than us. 
These are not things that I uh, wish will happen. Uh, these are simply things that I think probably will happen. Um, I don't know why this, right. Now, um, uh, my favorite character from Star Trek, Spock, immediately says, yeah, computers make excellent and efficient servants, but I have no wish to serve under them. So on one hand, they'll be unemployed. On the other hand, they'll be the employed who may not enjoy machines moving around them. Um, <clears throat> but Bertrand Russell, uh, with his foresight, said the following about machines. So there will still be things that machines cannot do. They will not produce great art or great literature or great philosophy. They will not be able to discover the secret springs of happiness in human heart. And they will know nothing of love and friendship, probably true. And um, one of my favorite writers of science fiction, Isaac Asimov, uh, uh, famously had said, in a properly automated world, machines will do the work that makes life possible and that human beings will do all other things that make life pleasant and worthwhile. So it might be a nice thing um, uh, at hindsight, but um, here is something that might bother us. So let's listen to this for, for a minute. So um, if machines can start composing the minds of you know, geniuses like Beethoven, who knows what's coming for us? Probably all of us might get replaced one day. Um, and then Bill Gates recently says, the robot that takes your job should pay taxes. So these are the sort of, um, there's a lovely book I've been reading recently, uh, written by Aaron Bastani. He writes uh, for um, um, the New York Times, which is called Fully Automated Luxury Communism. So that's the sort of um, idea that machines will do the bad things for us. Um, <clears throat> so what is automation and displacement that um, we are thinking of in this paper at least? So IBM has a very precise definition of that. It is a term for technology applications where human input is minimized. This includes business process automation, IT automation, personal applications such as home automation and more like um, uh, Hoovers and stuff. Um, ISA defined automation as the creation and application of technology to monitor and control the production and delivery of products and services like replacing HODs perhaps. 
Um, then McKinsey Global Initiative uh, finds that 25% of Americans work in jobs in which 75% of tasks could be automated by currently available technologies and 40% are in jobs in which at least half of these tasks are automobile, right? So this is the sort of definition of automation that we will use. Now, <clears throat> there is um, um, an economic literature about technology, advancement in technology, but these models formalize this technological advancement as factor augmenting, meaning that technological progress acts as if it increased the effective units of um, factors of production like labor or Hicksian approach, which leads to a proportionate increase in the output obtained from any input combination. So that's the classical view of technological progress. This is very different what we are, what we are doing here. And so of course there's a literature therefore, um, Sachs and Kotlikov, Greats, Mike Mikhail's, Nordhaus. They model automation as capital augmenting, augmenting technological change, which assumes that automation should be thought of as embodied in more productive or cheaper capital, which will then substitute for labor in a process governed by the standard um, <clears throat> calculations of elasticity of substitution in the production function. But Besson, on the other hand, argues that automation mostly increases the productivity of labor and models automation as labor augmenting technological change. So this is the classical viewpoint of, uh, classical economists viewpoint of automation. Now, <clears throat> Darren um, Achemoglu does something else more in line to what we are doing. So in contrast, he says that this is task-based Automation is conceptualized as the expansion of the set of tasks that can be produced by machines has very different effects. So this sort, this sort of technological progress. It always reduces labor share, labor demand, and the equilibrium wage, unless of course, um, even in the short run, productivity gains are very high, right? Um, in his paper, Robots and Jobs, Evidence from the US, um, he shows that um, estimates robot, uh, robust negative effects uh, of robots on employment and wages, and says that one more robot per thousand workers reduces the employment to population ratio by uh, 0.2 percentage point and wages by 0.42%. And then he has a series of papers, he, um, uh, one, uh, is competing with robots says that a 20% increase in robot adoption in industry is associated with a 3.2% decline in industry employment. Also says that um, it's the middle-aged workers who are more likely to get replaced in this uh, process of automation. In the handbook of uh, Oxford Handbook of um, Artificial Intelligence Governance, uh, this is a forthcoming article because this handbook is still in print says that if artificial intelligence continues to be developed along its current tra trajectory and remains unregulated, it may produce various social, economic, and political harms. These include damaging competition, consumer privacy. These are the usual sort of devils in the movie and consumer choice, excessively um, automating work, fueling inequality and failing to improve work productivity, damaging political discourse, something that we're gonna talk about um, uh, democracy's most fundamental lifeblood. But 
nothing has been actually done on this uh, rigorously, at least by economists. Um, in the Journal of Human Capital in 2018, he says that automation displaces the type of labor it directly affects, depressing its wage, something we are going to use implicitly. And through ripple effects, automation also affects the real wage of others, uh, other workers and their employment status, depending on how close these skills um, of the workers are, something we are really going to model um, quite explicitly. Now, <clears throat> because the workers' welfare um, is involved, the trade unions are involved, right? So Richard Freeman, um, an economist, says, funnily, um, if you keep, so this is about pandemic time, right? So if you keep me six feet away from the other worker and you have a robot in between, it's now safe. Um, and, and the robot companies are selling that as a solution and the unions aren't going to say no. <clears throat> you should have the worker standing next to each other so they get sick. So th there is, there, th there's a lot of debate going on between the industry, robot suppliers and and the trade unions. <clears throat> Unison has actually quite an extensive document. I can supply that um, to anyone who's interested, which says, which recommends workers to negotiate early with employers before automation takes over, right? Um, and then there are trade um, um, uh, unions in the US and um, they do lots of stuff. Uh, they even try to pass uh, bills um uh, to address job loss and on-job exploitation caused by automation ASEAN trade union confederation is also starting to is, is starting to worry about this there's a lot of discussions and considerations with concerns about particularly low-skilled jobs so they believe that the low-skilled are um, particularly threatened in this expansion um <clears throat> now uh, another trade union um, in the US, uh, in, they include automation in collective bargaining, bargain for additional transfers to protect wages and also lives of the displaced, right? Uh, so the president uh, of the United Food and Commercial Workers uh, International Union says it is surreal to think that any company could fire their own workers without any human involvement. That's the type of automation that unions can step in to mitigate through collective bargaining contracts, right? So I'm just bringing in the key players in the discussion we'll have um, uh, today, which is trade unions, uh, robot suppliers, and workers. Now, these are some of the major um, uh, robot suppliers. We'll call them robot owners in the in the specific uh, model we're going to look at. And they have views on compensation, which might be, which might sound philanthropic at the first instance, okay? So for example, these companies are increasingly supporting labor welfare programs in mainly two ways, job training and robot tax contributing towards basic income and other forms of monetary compensations for particularly the displaced. So with this background, I'm going to move into the formal bits of the, of the story that uh, I want to share with you today. But before that, it's always nice to say what we don't do in this, in this paper. So there will be some players 
um, in this paper, like the like the indus like the industry, like the robot owners, like the trade union, like the workers and political parties. And with respect to them, these are the things we don't do. Uh, we do not explicitly model firm level microstructure. We abstract from retraining issues that the mm, uh, industrial robot suppliers are talking about. We assume that um, outside options when you get unemployed are not necessarily tied to industrial skills. Uh, each of these can be tweaked and the model expanded and analyzed. We can't do everything in one paper and we have a lot of results already in the simplified uh, world that we're looking at. Um, capital labor ratio is not the axis of analysis, but this can be easily extended to that as well. We will be uh, looking at um, a distribution of industry-based industry skills. We do not model crony capitalism or political trade unions. So, uh, <clears throat> right. So this is not an agency uh, model in, uh, it's a standard agency model in political economy. One thing um, you might, when I start introducing the technology and the displacement technology in particular in the labor market, think that this is uh, this model can be used to study migration and how migration displaces uh, native population from the um, working um, labor force, but um, it could be modeled, but only up to the displacement technology, politics and the welfare bits would not be comparable. So that requires a different study altogether. So with that, um, I'm going to move into I'm sorry, there is this, which is, okay, good, that's better. <clears throat> so as I said, the actors are workers, um, industrialists, we're going to be passive about it as I've, uh, about them, as I've said, two political parties, a central trade union, a consortium of robot owners. Oops. Um, <clears throat> so there's a unit mass of workers, um, the distribution of industry-related skill is S, which is uh, uh, um, an element of the, of, of, a un of the unit interval 0, 1, and is distributed according to a non-atomic distribution F with density Fs, mean SM, and variance sigma square. Now, typically, I mean, those of us who work in electoral competition, spatial competition models, um, Variance is not a very important factor, uh, particularly in models where you have convergence of uh, uh, platforms as uh, political equilibria. Here, variance of the skill distribution will matter as uh, I, I will indicate, if I don't forget, uh, it's a small point. Interesting, but small. I think I have it somewhere on the slide. Um, industrialists uh, make employment decisions based on the economy-wide um, automation drive alpha that establishes the skill-based relative productivity of workers as opposed to machines. Um, automation substitutes labor. A worker with skill S will retain her job with probability alpha minus S square. So the closer your skill is to the automation environment in the, in the economy, the higher is the probability that you will uh, lose your job, right? Now, 
of course when you know the distribution of the skills and therefore you ha you have a hold over the over the mass of um, the workforce um, you can compute aggregate displaced uh, labor force as the integral of one minus p under this uh, f function, little f function. So that's one minus sigma square minus SM minus alpha square. So see, when automation is displacing the median skill, uh, displacement is, uh, is high, okay? Right, okay. <clears throat> now, um, the way we look at it is, the society is evolving in a period where they foresee that there will be some automation through democracy, okay? Now, this society, this, 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 this society is represented by a collection of robot owners and representatives of the labor force, which is a central trade union. So automation is supplied by a consortium of um, profit maximizing robot owners. As automation displaces labor and enhances the profits of the robot owners, the consortium might have to bargain over some fund pie with a centralized trade union characterized by, so this is the characteristic of the trade union, a preference parameter lambda that denotes the proportion of this pie that it gathers from the from the robot owners and allocates to the displaced worker. So here, um, displacement, uh, sorry, um, uh, 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 redistribution is financed, is, is, is budget balance. It's financed by the suppliers of robot owners. They supply it, okay? <clears throat> so what is the robot owner's payoff? Um, their payoff is a fact, so that it's a so k times uh, big delta alpha is the profit of the robot owners. So delta alpha is the displacement. So this is some factor of that displacement. Think of it roughly as the number of machines you're selling, minus the 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 pie that it has to give to the trade union for redistribution. Okay. And the union's payoff is utilitarian welfare of the workforce, okay? Whether you're employed or not, labor force, okay? Now, you can do this collective bargaining in various ways. I'm gonna show you um, a, a very rigorously worked out asymmetric bargaining uh, where the welfare function is the NASH program which is a cop Douglas of the welfares of the robot owners and the trade unions, the two parties in the bargaining where beta is the power of the bargaining power of the robot owners. And you can actually compute the, the asymmetric uh, Nash bargaining solution uh, and, and say things on it. I'm gonna show you that uh, solution. Um, I'm going to also be a little more general, as general as Edgeworth, and I'm going to talk about social contracts, okay? <clears throat> now, um, let's look at workers' welfare from automation uh, or in general from working. So an employed worker of skill S earns a fixed wage W bar plus a variable age, uh, wage that increases in her skill. So the higher skilled people 
um, are paid more. Um, now being replaced in general, and particularly by automation, because that's what we are talking about here, comes with an individual disutility of delta. Okay. Um, if pi is the outcome of the collective bargaining between the trade, uh, the robot owners and the trade union, then the expected utility of a citizen in this economy under an automation drive alpha, in the presence of a trade union uh, with preference parameter lambda is this, what is this? With probability one minus alpha minus S square, you lose your job. So you get a lambda share of the pi and you're unhappy with uh, delta. And with probability one minus alpha, you keep your job and you continue to um, earn the wage W bar plus WS and the share one minus lambda of pi, right? That the trade union gathers from the robot owners and gives to you. Um, so given pi, so let's look at now representative democracy, which comes eventually in this society, right? So given pi, the automation drive alpha is chosen by citizens through the institution of representative democracy, okay? Uh, what happens here? So we, are, we want to look at pure politics. We don't want to look at um, politics of ideology at the moment. Huh? So I, we want to study the role of, uh, of um, aggregation of preferences. So there are two Downsian parties. They are office seekers. They don't care about um, anything but winning office. Called one and two, who contest an election by simultaneously announcing their automation agendas, alpha one and alpha two. In reality, what happens is these parties are announcing packages of policies, right? And from that package, one can roughly compute the environment of automation that is to be in the next five years or so. So implicitly and, in, and directly, we are just going to say that these are um, essentially announcements of um, economy-wide agendas, automation agendas, alpha one and alpha two. Upon um, observing alpha one and alpha two, the citizens vote for the party that maximizes their individual utility. So you can think of this as sincere voting. Uh, there's a continuum of voters. This is always an equilibrium anyway. Now in this respect, and remember I said, we're not talking about crony capitalism and we're not talking about agency theories. So, uh, so all that the citizens who matter in this voting in this representative democracy are the workers as all other agents are of measure zero and hence electoral, electorally insignificant. And we are not talking about um, uh, um, um, influence, right? These are all interesting extensions we can work on. So uh, one can rewrite the expected utility of a worker as follows, okay? And keep an eye on this pi hat of S. It is some uh, combination of your utility from working and not getting unemployed. So delta is some form of shadow price of employment, okay? Um, now, the utility function of the workers, and Nick was mentioning that, um, uh, that the center is, uh, 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 is trying to estimate empirically preferences of workers. So in this um, sort of parable, 
theoretical parable, these preferences start looking like this. When the when lambda is less than half, meaning the, the trade union, the central union cares less about displaced workers and more about the welfare of those who keep their jobs. Indifference curves of workers, um, uh, sorry, uh, utility functions of workers are double peaked. But if S for a particular worker, this is drawn with skill S, if um, the skill is greater than half, then the peak is at zero. And if the skill is less than half, then the peak is at one, which I've not drawn, which basically means what? If the trade union doesn't care about my welfare when I get unemployed, I want, I like automation that is farthest from me in the, in the space of skills so that I'm most likely to retain my job, right? When the, well, when the trade union starts caring more about the displaced, provided the pie that it can get from the, um, from, the, uh, from the robot owners is not too large, this continues to stay, right? So when pie is small, this guy's utility function remains the same. Of course, as pie increases, his utility increases, and then crosses a threshold, which is, which is lambda uh, pi hat s minus delta, beyond which preferences turn and become single peaked. And, and uh, sorry, that was my uh, right. And now workers like to be displaced because the trade union is very powerful. Uh, so uh, this is some hint of luxury communism, right? Now, what happens with politics? Now, when you study these two uh, utility functions, um, what happens is the following. If you plot the skill of the workforce here, worker here, then um, there is a cut. So this is a particular pie that is given. And then there is this line, which is this pi hat S. Workers with skill higher than this critical level S hat prefer alpha equal to zero when they are when their skill is bigger than half. So this is an automation that is displacing the low skilled workers with the highest probability. And when um, these guys um, uh, have a skill less than half, then they like um, um, uh, an, uh, an automation that displaces better wins. For skills to the left of S hat, they are, they are single peak peaking at their skill. So the workers prefer alpha to be themselves, their skills, right? So keeping that in mind and working carefully through uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the, the game of uh, played by the two parties, the following turn out to be the political equilibrium. Before I show this, let me tell you one thing here. When lambda is less than half, voters are, so workers either prefer one or zero, right? So if the median worker is to the right of half, then uh, the Condorcet winner is zero. And if the median voter is to the left of half, the Condorcet winner is one. So that politics is pretty easy. When it comes to uh, lambda bigger than half, then careful 
um, analysis tells us the following. So first, suppose the median skilled worker is high skilled, bigger than half. Then this red line is tracing how the political equilibrium looks like as a function of what the trade union can bring from the robot owners. So as pi increases, so first it remains zero. Remember the median voter is uh, bigger than half. Then um, if pi is very large, the median voter starts becoming very decisive and um, the parties pander to the median worker and, uh, and, and alpha star is the median voters uh, skill. Now in between, there is a fixed point given by this equation here. Um, uh, fixed point uh, in, the, in the political um, game. Um, this is this S star and it increases in pi because S hat uh, increases in pi, right? Okay, so that's how it looks there. When the median voter is less skilled, then you can now understand that this will be slightly reversed in the very beginning when pi is small, the median voter actually likes high skilled guys to be replaced because she is low skilled. So the convergence is towards one, one up to a point, and then it, there is a continuum of equilibrium, but we'll come to this uh, in a bit later at some critical pi. And then it follows S star for a little while and then creeps up to S1 as pi becomes larger. Why it is exactly fixed, uh, I can share uh, proofs later. That's not for this seminar, all right? So this is how politics looks like for a given um, share of uh, redistribution fund that the trade union can appropriate. Now, the trade union and the robot owners started this conversation foreseeing politics that's coming tomorrow in two years, three years, five years, maybe 10 years, okay? So we're gonna now look at uh, the solution of pi, knowing how, the polit how political equilibrium is affected by the agreed pi. Now, this is not a smooth problem, uh, but what we find is that when lambda is half, less than half, Okay, so this is a trade union which cares less about the displaced. The bargaining set is convex with a linear frontier and there's a unique solution to the bar bargaining problem, okay? Um, when the trade union starts caring about the displaced more, the bargaining set is not necessarily convex, but it's comprehensive, which means if, um, if, uh, if there is a, if, if a particular pair of utilities is feasible, then if you give less to both, that's also feasible. Huh? So that's very uh, uh, reasonable. Uh, so the bargaining set remains comprehensive. We know those, who have, those of us who work um, or read about bargaining that comprehensive bargaining sets do not necessarily um, um, uh, yield unique uh, bargaining solutions. Of course, they do not satisfy uh, symmetry. In any event, we're looking at asymmetric uh, bargaining. But so you, you might get multiple solutions, but 
it, the problem is well defined, okay? And all other uh, uh, um, axioms of Nash bargaining continue to hold apart from symmetry. So it's a pretty, pretty solid um, solution concept if you want to be serious about um, bargaining. So let me give you, I have about 10, 15 minutes. So I'm gonna to move to some full picture of what's going on in this type of framework. <clears throat> So this is how the full equi equilibrium looks when um, lambda is uh, less than half, the trade union cares less about the displaced. Beta is the power of the robot owners in the collective bargaining. Huh? <clears throat> so uh, when SM is high, so the, so the, so the, um, so the median um, skilled worker is high skilled, Yes, the low skill gets displaced for all values of beta. And as beta increases as expected, beta means the power of the robot owners, the amount of pi that goes to the, um, to the, uh, in the hands of the trade union falls, interestingly, not to zero. Why? Because uh, politics has some bite in it here. So, we'll, so if you give zero, then the, then the equilibrium may change and affect the size of displacement, which may affect profits um, uh, adversely for the robots, robot owners, right? Clearly again, oh, sorry. When, um, when uh, the median uh, uh, worker is low skill, then the high skill gets um, displaced in every political equilibrium by every, I mean, for all beta and the appropriation remains similar, okay? Uh, things become, complicated and interesting when lambda is bigger than half. So when lambda is bigger than half, the trade union cares more about displaced workers, okay? So as beta increases, uh, um, so this is, uh, uh, this is um, um, alf, um, the, the, the median voter is high skilled, okay? So as beta increases from zero, um, the equilibrium is at SM, I'm talking of alpha, then it jumps down to some S double star, moves down and then jumps down to one. The pattern of uh, pi that the trade union can appropriate expectedly, a little bit nuanced has jumps, uh, but it's downward sloping in both cases. When um, the skill, when the skill of the median worker is less than half, low skilled, then uh, it starts with SM, goes down, and then jumps jumps to one. So there's some non-monotonicity which you could see from this figure as well. Okay. What is interesting? Let me make this remark quickly before I go to um, uh, Edgeworth type collective bargaining, which is actually more general. Is that um, <clears throat> when lambda is half? So I'm I'm measuring um, the robot owners' bargaining power here. So when lambda is less than half, so the trade union cares less about the displaced. The median voter theorem always holds. Okay. But when lambda is bigger than half then the median voter theorem does not hold when the, when the power of the two part, powers of the two parties in the collective bargaining is sort of close to each other, balanced power. So outside the median voter theorem starts holding, okay? <clears throat> so now what is important to ask here 
is what exactly is democracy doing? So let me explain this figure drawn for a trade union which cares about the displaced and for a world where the worker, median worker is high skilled. So this red line extended with dots is the political, um, uh, uh, by the way, here it's why uh, it should be pi. Uh, it's my mistake. Um, this should be this should this y here should read as pi. Okay, so that's the amount that the trade union extracts from the robot owners. So this you have seen is the political equilibrium, which you can think of as the political contract curve. Now, what is this black line? So I'm drawing the indifference curves. Okay, family of indifference curves of the uh, robot owners and the trade unions in the alpha pi plane. The robot owners highest uh, R is this point under full control. So the indifference curves look like this. And this red dot is the best the robot owners want when it does not control politics. If it controlled politics and had full bargaining power, it would implement uh, full displacement and zero Pi, right? That's obvious. But otherwise, it uh, because it doesn't control pi, what will happen tomorrow? Uh, blah blah. Its optimum is this red, and the and the and the trade unions indifference curves look like this. Okay. And uh, this dot line, dotted line, is the feasibility constraint for y. Remember, y has to be financed by the trade unions. So that is the trade union's full control optimum. But if it couldn't control politics, then the optimum is here. Now, bargaining a la Edgeworth with a political constraint would be on the red line. Bargaining a la Edgeworth without the political constraint would be on the black line, right? So that's what these figures are. Now, there is one point green which we call Parisian democracy, and I'll come back to that uh, in, in a commentary in a bit. This is where the, the full control um, uh, contract curve intersects the constraint contract curve, if you like. Hmm? So what's the message here? <clears throat> strong trade union means overshooting of automation. See, um, strong trade union means you are somewhere here because the trade union's power is high. So, so there is overshooting of automation due to democracy. Strong robot, on, robot owners means undershooting of automation. So you are somewhere here. Whereas if there was no democracy, then the automation would have been somewhere there, right? And there is a unique Parisian democracy point. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna wrap up very quickly. So uh, when, when the trade union um, cares about the displaced more, then the picture starts looking like this. You know what these pictures are about now. Uh, there are two um, Parisian democracies because the two contract curves uh, intersect each other twice. So strong trade union means overshooting of automation that remains. Strong robot owner means socially optimum automation because the optimum automation remains, remains here. 
uh, which is uh, which is the SM point. Balanced power means overshooting of automation. So when you have balanced power, undershooting of automation, the 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 democracy line that uh, falls below the black line, right? But there are multiple Parisian democracies. Uh, finally, when the trade union does not care about the displaced, interestingly, there does not exist a Parisian democracy and the strength of trade union robot owners are not important. Overshooting or undershooting of automation is all about the skill of the median voter, where the median voter is. So with that, let me uh, summarize, Nick, if you give me two minutes more. <clears throat> So what do we see so far? Uh, I say so far because I'm, I'm working on a couple of uh, extensions, not necessarily um, for this paper, but we shall see. So collective bargaining sets political agendas um, about automation in a non-trivial way. Zero robot tax is not necessarily an ideal policy for robot owners when they do not control politics, but can only affect agenda setting. A trade union more inclined towards on-job exploitation rather than worrying about workers who lose their jobs will implement extremist automation. So industrial robots will displace neuroscientists or parking lot personnel and have the least impact on uh, displacement. When the trade union cares more about the displaced, then it's a little bit more nuanced. If the trade union is very powerful, we start getting this fully automated luxury um, uh, communism. So very high redistribution from the, in, from the robot owners and high rates of displacement of the median worker, okay? If the trade union is weak, displacement is minimum, but can displace either the very high or the low skill as is pi. Uh, when intermediately powerful, it's something in between is happening. So that's the message. Economies with identical trade union types um, and same powers, same shares of power between them and the robot owners can end up with very different um, automation and distribution drives provided uh, one side is strong. So I'm talking about this multiple equilibria in the full, info, in the full uh, picture. Uh, one of the, these equilibria is intermediated nature and the other equilibrium is either uh, with maximum displacement when the trade union is very powerful or minimum displacement if the, if the robot owners are very powerful. And finally, uh, some comments on Parisian democracy. So interestingly, Wilfredo Pareto in his book, The Transformation of Democracy writes, the diverse natures of men combined with the necessity to satisfy in some manner the sentiment which desires them to be equal has had the result that in the democracies they have endeavored to provide the appearance of power in the people and the reality of power in the elite. These are exactly uh, these green points um, on these curves, which does not exist uh, for a trade union who does not care about the displaced. And the message there is democracy distorts Pareto efficiency in, a particular, in particular ways. When the union cares less about the displaced, there is no Parisian democracy ever. When the union cares more about the displaced, there is a unique Parisian democracy when the 
median voter is high skilled and the multi and multiple Parisian democracies otherwise. So with that, uh, Nick, I should end my talk. Uh, I'm stopping to share now. Great, thank you very much, Jaideep. Thank you very much for that. Um, right, let, let's open this up to questions and discussion. Uh, I'm just going to go into the chat. Um, Ada Garcia Lazara asked for a clarification. What is Pi? I mean, Pi was the, the the redistribution fund, if you like, from that that the that the trade union can appropriate from the uh, from the robot owners. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay, so that's just a clarification, but uh, that's. Um, good. Are there any other questions? I'm just looking at uh, colleagues in the chat, whether you want to type your questions into the, into the Q&A. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just, just, I suppose, Jaidi, while we wait for people to come in, just to sort of, I mean, go back to this sort of empirical world for a bit, if, um, sure. um, where, where, we're, where we're more active. I mean, one issue, of course, is that um, uh, the effects of automation and technology are, and the nature of technologies is mediated obviously by the presence of trade unions and collective bargaining and um, the different national political economic institutions uh, in which trade unions play a role um, uh, and um, and obviously uh, the variation um, it, it will depend on the extent of union coverage even union bargaining and union coverage um, which is very weak in Anglo-liberal democracies, much stronger in coordinated market economies. Um, and, you know, they're sort of mixed, if you like, in countries which have got rel relatively low union membership, but where unions lead for sector deals in the wider economy. Um, and, um, and I suppose that relates to the question of where automation and robotization uh, is, is very high in so-called superstar firms um, where actually trade unions are non-existent and they're only just starting to organize. So um, to come back then to your models, um, uh, in those circumstances, are you either saying that a trade union is just, is just, not, is just weak or non-existent in your models in those, in those circumstances? And are they then plotted not to one for those different variations in union membership coverage and bargaining power? Right. So um, I think what you're saying um, is captured by the parameter beta in the model, where yeah. so what you're saying is, suppose beta is very high, mm. right? So when beta is very high, um, everything, everything is determined roughly speaking, by the location of the median skilled population, okay? Um, and if the median skilled population is high skilled, there will be a lot of automation in industry that will displace the low skilled workers, mm -hmm. okay? Uh, and, um, and if the median um, voter is low skilled, then, then typically it will displace workers who are high skilled. Okay. The mm -hmm. other point is, you will not get a Parisian. Um, you may not necessarily get a Parisian uh, democracy. So you can make people happier 
by doing other things. Yeah. Yeah. This is roughly the, the message on the theme you're thinking of from this analysis. Okay, let's go to some further questions then. So, Meg Schneider, um, how would the results change if policy agendas also included redistribution in addition to the level of automation alpha? So this way workers would get a stronger hand as they're the only voters and be less dependent on the properties of trade union like Lambda and their bargaining power. Yeah, so I think Mike's question is, what if political parties announce can commit to uh, redistribution? Mm. Is that right, Mike? You could speak. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's what it might. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, so uh, first of all, this is hard for political parties to, um, to announce. Um, it might be able to announce lambda as a policy rather than the amount that can be uh, appropriated by indust from industrialists. But if, if they can do it, then um, it is it, so, so there'll be, uh, so it's a two dimensional political um, competition in that case. You may not have existence of a Condorcet winner to start with, Mike. Okay. Uh, so you will have to enter stuff like mixed strategy equilibria in the political economy uh, game. Having said that, the impact of Bay of um, of uh, Lambda would be very similar. So uh, you may have multiple. You may have. Um, uncertain equilibrium uncertainty in that sense. Um, Max, come back. Probabilistic voting model would help then to get. No, so the so the uh, so the um, the preferences of voters will remain the remain um, uh, as I have shown, but the competition may uh, have issues. Uh, you may not have a median voter. And then you start talking about mixed strategy equilibria and stuff like that. Okay. Um, Ada's asking um, just about the case, just some clarification, I think, on, on the case when, why, when robot owners are powerful, is displacement minimal? Has she understood? Right. So that's the interesting bit about um, this framework. So when the robot owners are extremely powerful, so imagine they can control um, uh, uh, alpha and pi, right? Then uh, this, they will displace the median worker because that's where they can sell robots the most and they will not give any redistribution, okay? But if they don't control politics, then interestingly, they will not displace the uh, they will actually uh, give some redistribution to the workers because otherwise uh, the politics would lead to an alpha which will not maximize their profits will not displace enough so they will control this pie as an instrument to affect politics that favors their um, uh, their uh, profits mm -hmm. yeah yeah how, how do you model um, uh, a situation like that we have in, in the UK where um, uh, the most important voting groups are not workers when they're retired? Uh, so 
one way of doing this is you can interpret lambda pi as a retirement benefit. So you, you voluntary retirement, you just retire. Mm -hmm. You can also think of delta, which is this disutility from work for from um, getting unemployed dependent or you can choose your level uh, of delta depending on whether you want to remain in the workforce looking for a job or other employment or you want to retire so these little tweaks you can you can do in in a model like this i would prefer not to because it's these i mean tweaking is taking too simplistic views of these very important things that you're asking so i'd rather think afresh about these things mm -hmm. Yeah, now I'm just thinking that, you know, there's from the welfare state preferences literature, you know, there's an extensive literature on intergenerational differences in welfare preferences mm -hmm. for consumption or investment in particular. So pensions versus education, for example, between young and old. Um, and the, the retired population may have no preferences on displacement or the, you know, unemployment versus employment, but has preferences about I see pensions and welfare and services like the NHS. So preferences perhaps over pie, but uh, mediated entirely through politics. Yeah. So this is related to Mike's question, actually, because mm. in this model, pie is not a political variable as as such. It mm. is implicitly through the alpha and the total surplus it generates, but not as such. Yeah. Um, I think in order to uh, address your question more seriously, pi might have to become a political variable. Yeah. And then those guys don't care about alpha other than the fact that alpha generates pi. Yeah. 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 These are all very interesting extensions. Yeah. So they would have, yes. I mean, and that would, I suppose, in, in, in contemporary politics, that would translate into preferences for whichever party is deemed most capable of running an economy that's generating a surplus. Um, yeah competence etc yeah yeah okay yeah. yeah yeah very good okay are there any other any other questions any colleagues got any other questions to chip in we're coming up to the end of the end of the session anyway i think Which um, is going to end abruptly right yes i'm afraid it ends abruptly <laughs> <laughs> the session will just stop but that's incredibly interesting thank you thank you yeah. um uh, do do you have any um uh, indication yet about when you're likely to publish where where or when you're likely to publish uh so this will take time right uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. two years maybe two years, <laughs> okay. <laughs> maybe one year i don't know yeah okay no no of course mm -hmm. you can never know these things um okay great well um uh, thank you for sharing it uh today with us um uh particularly those of us you know who in who work much more in empirical political economy and in uh welfare state social policy research um it's very interesting to to have um uh the, the presentation of, the, of these of these models um very interesting indeed um so thank you very much and um thank you colleagues for joining us um thank you thank very, you very much, much. Thanks. thanks a lot indeed.